pray with me? Take a moment and give thanks for all that God has given you. Recognizing that for some this is a tough time of year, I still encourage you to give thanks for all that He has done and all that He's giving and all that He will do as we take this time to remember and to celebrate the salvation that has come to us. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to our spirits. Lord, I pray that as we take this time to look at your word, that you would renew our spirits and renew our minds. Lord, that those who need hope, you would speak the power and peace of hope to them. Those who need salvation, that you would draw them by your spirit. And Lord, for those who are coming seeking, that today you would reveal your heart to them. Thank you for all that you do and for all that you give. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. The history and the mystery of Christmas. We're going to look at several passages today. But I want you to stop and consider the Christmas story. I mean, typically now, if you'll just be honest for just a moment, when you begin to hear Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story, you think, yeah, I know that. I know that. It's good for my kids to hear. I know that. I know the story. I know what all happened. But I prepared for you this morning a simple test. As a matter of fact, I did the simple test. I took the hard questions out, quite frankly. Uh, So I want you to open up your bulletin for just a moment, and I want you to look at that test inside your bulletin. If you have a pen, you can use it. You, You don't have to. But I want you to take just a moment and see how many of these that you can answer. Uh, Because these are the simple uh, facts of the narrative of Christ. So take just a moment and look at that and see how well you do. Kind of the Christmas test this morning. Okay, some of you are already looking up, so I'm assuming you've already got them all or you're just dazed. And so uh, I'm going to start, and you're welcome just to call out. Uh, the answer to this, and let's just see how you do today. Joseph had been living where? Nazareth. Now, now some of you won't let's call it out loud again, I know. Uh, the providential event that led Joseph back to his ancestral home was what? Census. Who was the governor of Syria at the time of Christ's birth? Quinarius. What was the name of the angel who spoke to Mary prior to Christ's conception? How did now this one is a little bit of a trick question. How did Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem? That's right. No motorized vehicles, okay? And really it's just we see the donkey, really we don't know. It doesn't say uh for all we know they just both walked or Joseph gave Mary a piggyback ride. We're not really not sure how how exactly. We just know that they didn't have a lot of money and they traveled a long way. Who first said nothing is impossible with God? That was Gabriel. Very good. Very good. Um, directing the shepherds to Jesus was a an angel. Uh, there was a star there, too, that night. Um, the angels told him where to go, though. See? Got to read that story. Uh, when the shepherds saw Jesus, he was dressed swaddling clothes. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And let's go back to the next one. At the birth... Of Jesus, the angel sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on his favor rests. 
What did the shepherds do after seeing Jesus? They went and shared the news, spread the word. What were the shepherds doing in the field that night? Watching their sheep. After Christ's birth, Mary and Joseph took him to... Not Disneyland. Egypt! The three gifts brought to Jesus were... Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Several times, Joseph received direction from a dream. There's some bonus questions on the back if you got all those right. Um, just let me skip down. and what uh, You see who were the people who were present at the dedication of Jesus, which would have been uh, Simeon and Anna. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Christ simply means the anointed one or the Messiah. Uh, approximately how many years ago was Jesus born? 2,000 years ago. And here's a good one. Uh, how many years before that had the promise been made to Abraham? I'm going to be really impressed when it gets to 2,000. Uh, that's close, 1,900. Uh, and matter of fact, we don't know to the exact year, so uh, we'll fudge and go up to 1950. Uh, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,900 years. And uh, that's a, just a great little test there to just give us a little bit more history that sometimes we think we know than what we actually know. And as you look at the history uh, of Christ, and as we look at the realities of what occurred, we can go back really as far as uh, even Genesis chapter 5, and we start to see a theme of a deliverer, of someone who would come and give deliverance. We even see that in the typology of Noah. Uh, It is given to us in um, Genesis chapter 5. And throughout scriptures, we've talked about this before, there are typologies or foreshadowings. In other words, you'll see individuals who God calls out and uses as a prefiguring of Christ and uses them as deliverers. We see that, of course, with uh, Abraham and with Moses. Uh, we even see it with Jacob. And throughout scripture, we see it with David. So uh, they are not meant to be the final and the full Messiah. And they certainly would not have understood uh, in those terms at that time. But when we look at prophecy and when we look at the foretellings of Scripture, I want to remind you that they had a meaning for that day. And the people of that generation would have understood it. But the the Word of God is so encompassing, so powerful, that it doesn't just stop with the generation of that day. It continues to have meaning in generations to come and throughout history for eternity. That's the power of God's Word, of His spoken Word, of His given prophecy. So as we think of it from those terms, I want to give you three key scriptures that you can see are directly given to us that will have great meaning as we read Matthew chapter 1 here in just a moment. The first one is found in Isaiah chapter 7. Matter of fact, these are great passages for you to mark with your big pencil in your Bible. When we talk about the Christmas story, when we talk about the Christmas history and the Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, I believe these are three key scriptures. There are literally dozens and dozens that we can read and hundreds regarding Christ. Uh, but these are very specific. And if you turn to Isaiah 7:14, uh, the first one is this. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is a prophecy given hundreds of years before 
the time of Christ. Now that's 714. Remember that scripture. Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Then Isaiah 9-6, just two chapters later. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. These are terms that are used for Jesus later on. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see here the prophecies that are given. And then let me give you one more. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And this is a great prophecy. As a matter of fact, we're going to see right here that Bethlehem Ephratah used because there were actually two Bethlehems in the known world at that time. And so Scripture specifically tells us which one. It says uh, in Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Now, from old and ancient times, uh, when that reference is typically used, it's talking about the beginning of time from the ancient of times. That's also a descriptive terminology for God that's used, of course, the ancient of days. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and let's look at the story again, and let's see where some of those prophecies fit in, uh, some of those scriptures that we have just read. Beginning with verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, that's where we come up with the doctrine, the miraculous conception. Uh, sometimes you hear the term virgin birth, but before the virgin birth, there was a miraculous conception. The Bible clearly tells us here that that was through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is what? From the Holy Spirit. Again, you see the picture of the divine conception given to us here, very specifically, very clearly. He continues on here and says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, one who saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Remember what the Lord said to the prophet. Let's come to the scripture right here in verse 23. See if this rings a bell. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us, which means God with us. Those are great prophecies, and that ought to inspire your hearts as you look at the truth of Christmas, as we look at the history of Christmas. Interesting enough, you know, Jesus was born, of course, in a manger. And as a child, I always struggled with that because I, I looked at that and I thought, well, that 
kind of a neat little crib there kind of thing they have in those pictures. And you see the white, uh, you know, kind of the white padding and everything in it. I thought that, you know, it looks like it wasn't that bad. But the real truth of it is we know that a manger is actually a feeding trough. You know, my father raises cows and horses, still does to this day, and he did when I was a child. And one of the nastiest places I think that exists is that feeding trough where the cows slobber and they, they lick uh, the trough. They lick the bottom of it. There's always a little bit of feed there. There's usually insects that will crawl up in, in there. And it's just a nasty, dirty place. And this is really where Jesus was placed. That's a better descriptive uh, understanding and picture of what occurred. And as we look at that, it's, it's just amazing to me that the God of the universe chose willingly to come and to be placed in a manger at his birth. At a time where you want things crystal clean and everything pure and right, God allows himself to be placed in the most despicable birthplace I personally have ever heard of. Now, what's interesting is people definitely re- realize the sacredness of this place. Again, I think I mentioned earlier, it was probably a cave. Uh, we kind of have a picture of a barn, but the barn was probably built kind of in the cave, which was very common. And matter of fact, scholars think they know where that was. And uh, for the first couple of hundred years, really the first uh, two to three hundred years, uh, people would go there and they would see the place. Christians would sometimes journey to Bethlehem. It was only six miles uh, out of Jerusalem. But then when Christianity really exploded in the second, third century, and even the beginning of the fourth century, the Roman government began to do everything they could uh, to basically uh, eradicate the faith. And they began to do away with any sites that were reminders or significant to the Christian religion. Places where they thought Christ had been or was born, particularly the nativity here. Uh, they basically took it and they wiped it out and they replaced it with a shrine to their goddess Adonis. Uh, and so the pagan goddess Adonis was worshipped there. And then a grove was planted over it so that there would be no remembrance of the birthplace of Christ. But then we know in the 4th century when Constantine came into power and became a Christian, he, he basically took those places and had all the shrines removed. In particular, the Nativity, the nativity Cave, uh, he took that aspect, that place, and he had the grove removed, and he had, of course, the, the shrines removed to Adonis, and he reestablished it and actually built what we now have as our oldest existing church, the Church of the Nativity. Matter of fact, you can see a picture right here of the Church of Nativity that was built. And it's really remarkable that this is one of the few, very, very few places that has remained throughout all the wars that have, have come. And matter of fact, they reduced the size here to where it's just a small, narrow opening where you can get in. And most people are going to have to bend down. Some people almost have to get on their knees to get into the door uh, to get in. And it's, it, it's really a picture to me now as you think about how we come to Christ, how we have to bend the knee. We don't come straight up, but we come bending the knee, bowing down. And that hasn't always been just like that, but because of the fact that the Ottoman Empire came in and they were looting places, they kind of shrunk that down, and now it's imperative that you kneel down to get into the, the, uh, the Church of the Nativity to see the manger aspect of where the Christ was born. So as we see that picture, as we understand that history, um, it's also, I think, in, in, relative to, to mention that Jerome 
translated the Bible into the language of Latin, which was really a, a language that was fairly common, at least for the educated, all throughout that area. Up to that point, the Bible was in Hebrew, uh, in the Old Testament, and some Aramaic, and the New Testament, some Aramaic, and predominantly Greek. It was all consolidated in one language, into Latin. And that was done here in Bethlehem as well. Interesting, isn't it? As we look and we see the history of, of uh, Christmas, not only do we understand these facts, but also there are some other facts that generally most historians will give us and say, these are somewhat historically true. We believe these facts to be uh, accurate. And let's just give some of those. First of all, uh, that the Messiah was promised in the Old Testament, that it was prophesied. Most uh, scholars and historians, regardless of their affiliation, will give you that, that those were recordings in the Scripture, that Jesus, in fact, was born. Every once in a while, we'll come up with a Yahoo say, I don't think he was ever born. There's no historical evidence to support their claim, but there are multiple, uh, multiple criteria that we use that are outside of the Bible that certainly give claim that Jesus was historically a figure in history. We can at least be given that. Jesus claimed to be Savior. We know from the writings and recordings that we have that he made that claim that Jesus died on a cross, that Jesus said that he could bring salvation, and that Jesus was seen in the Kidron Valley after his death. Over 500 people witnessed Jesus after the death and burial and resurrection of Christ later on in the Kidron Valley. So there are some historical evidences that we have but we can take a step further beyond the historical and look at the mystical or the mystery that God has given to us. First of all, that God, and when I say God, I want to remind you, uh, when I say Jesus, I'm talking about. When I say the Father, the Son, of course, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Father is God. So Jesus took on the nature of man. God took on the nature of man. It's a mystery how that would happen. He entered the world as a baby. That the God of the universe entered into our world as a baby. He came into this world crying, and quite frankly, he exited crying out for mankind. Not only that, we see the mystery that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the miraculous conception. We don't understand how that occurred. It's part of the mystery and the miracle of Christmas. That God was fully man and He was fully God. That God suffered for us. That He chose to suffer on our behalf and that He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become His righteousness. Now, these are all facts that John certainly believed. If you turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 1, and incidentally, you see a, a strong connection to the gospel of John right here, as John is writing, and John is giving witness of what he has seen. He's getting witness of what he believes. And uh, you'll notice right here, and we'll see several of these doctrines we'll look at in a moment, that which was from the beginning. Remember how that was prophesied earlier? That from the beginning, the eternal, it's the, uh, what we call the eternality of Christ, that He's been forever. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, so we've heard it with our ears, John's saying, we've seen it with our eyes, and we've looked at our hands, have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So we've heard it, we've seen it, 
We've touched him. We believe it. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we reclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father who has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and is with the Son, Jesus Christ. John so believed that that he was willing to suffer for his sake. We know that 11 of the 12 disciples suffered a martyr's death because of their belief, because they had heard it, they had seen it, they had touched him. They knew it to be true, that they staked their lives upon the miracle, the history, the mystery of Christ. And so we don't have to just hope we can know that these things are true. That brings us to our doxy. We've got the history, we've got the mystery, and we've got the doxy. Now, doxy uh, is just a word that uh, I decided to put here because it rhymed. Okay, so really all, all it is, is is doctrine. Okay, and let me do, make a distinguishing different for, difference for just a moment. There is what we call doctrine, and there's what we call being doctrinaire. Okay, now being doctrinaire is when you are completely closed-minded. That's kind of the negative term. Okay, that means you're not open to anything. You're unwilling to consider anything. That would be being doctrinaire. Doctrine is simply your statement of beliefs, your statements of faith. So it doesn't matter what religion you are. You could be an atheist. You still have a doctrine. Okay, you you've assumed at least that there is no God. And if you're an agnostic, that we can't know if there's a God. That's your doctrine. So we all have some set of beliefs and statement of beliefs that we live by. And so here we are as we look at the doctrines that come because of Christmas. Now, the first one being that of the eternality of Christ, the everlasting, the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the incarnation, incarnating. That means simply this, that God became man. It's what we are encased in. God was encased in flesh. He was encased in human form. Earlier we sang the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. On that second verse, it goes like this, speaking of this very doctrine. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Deity, God in flesh. Pleased is man with him to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Heart the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We see the doctrine of incarnation clearly given to us here. And as we continue, we also see there are several other doctrines that are given to us here by Christ. We see that uh, Christ became man, we see the deity of Christ, that God is, that Jesus is God. We see the death of Christ as we continue, as we make the progression, the burial, the resurrection, the atonement for our salvation. That word atonement simply means a covering. A covering was placed upon us because we were sinful and God Almighty could not look upon us. In the old covenant, that was done through the sacrificial system of animals, but now it has been done by Christ once and for all. So we are covered by His blood, and we anticipate the second coming of Christ. This was the first advent. The second advent is to come, the advent of Christ. That's why we worship as we see the history, as we see the mystery, and we see the doxy of the person of Jesus Christ, the purpose 
of Christmas into our lives. We are provided salvation through Christmas, through Jesus. We are provided salvation because of the sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf. We can enter into relationship. We are all each His creature, but we can become His child because of Christmas, because God has come to earth and He has offered us salvation through His sacrifice. And we can experience transformation. Transformation in our lives. It's interesting. Uh, C.S. Lewis gives the quote. He says, you know, here's how you ought to think about it when you think about how God has come to earth in the form of man. How He's come to earth, been born and placed in a manger. It's the picture of you or I deciding we want to become a slug or we want to become a snail. That's the mammoth gap between what it looks like for us to become uh, what we would, or how we would compare it as opposed to what God, leaving His holy, divine state to become man here upon earth and to be placed in a manger. When we really grasp, grasp that, that's when transformation begins to occur. When we recognize that God has become man and that God is with us, that He's experienced every experience I am tempted by. He knows what it is to hurt, to suffer, and to have pain, and yet be righteous. I think of transformation, and I think of my friend Matt Chandler over at the Village Church. All of you are aware by this time uh, of the diagnosis of brain cancer that Matt has. And one of the first things Matt sent out after that had happened was, uh, why me, why not me? Hey, that's a great answer. Why not me? We live in a culture and a world where Christendom is supposed to be good to us. God is supposed to give us and protect us, and nothing bad is ever to happen to us. But the truth of it is, it all happened to Christ. He suffered because He was righteous. So the question is, have you been down to the manger? Have you come to that manger, and when you peered into that feeding trough, what do you see? Do you see a little baby who's cute and cuddly, and you think, that's nice, makes Christmas very sentimental for me? Or do you see the God of this world who took on the most humble form possible so that I might know Him, so that He might express His great love to me, so that He might transform my life? What do you see when you look down into the manger? when you go down to the manger. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for coming. Thank You, Lord, that it was not just a coincidence, but it was prophesied. It was foretold. And it was completed through the birth of Jesus. For the birth of Jesus as He was placed in a manger and giving us the opportunity to know You to know life, to know forgiveness, and to experience the joy of Christmas. So, Lord, I pray this morning if there's one who knows you but yet has fallen away, that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you, that's seeking you, that, Lord, they would come to know you today. They would give their life to you. And, Lord, for those who are hurting and struggling today, Lord, that you would speak your peace into their spirits by the power of Jesus
and the power that you have come and the power that you are God Almighty that walked upon this earth, that suffered and died, but yet rose again on the third day and offers life and hope eternally. We praise you this day. We thank you for the manger. In the name of Jesus, I pray all of these things. Amen.